one of the security supervisors sees a guy. He drives up. He parks in the parking lot at the Wild Wild West, and the guy just takes his McDonald's bag. He's finished with his food and just drops it, just like on the pavement, just, just throws it into the street, you know, right on the parking lot. And so the security supervisor comes over and he says, hey, pick that up. What the fuck are you doing? And the guy's like, fuck you, man. And so they get into it. They're bugging to fuck you. And he's like, you know, you're going to do that or I'm going to get the fuck out of your bed. And they're going back and forth. I see this happening. So I walk over and I pick up the, the bag of garbage and I walk up to the guy's car and I go, dude, you dropped your food. I said, you know, it's, it's you got to keep your strength up. You got to eat. So I'm really sorry. I'm just grabbing your food for you. You dropped your food. And the guy's like looking at me. All of a sudden, the security supervisor stops and the guy stops. And I'm like, your food. And he's like, I don't need that. No, no. You, I mean, why would you want to just take your food and just drop it out the window? This is your food. This is your food, man. And 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 I really want you to make sure that you eat your food because you got to have nutrition in your body. It gets hot and you got to hydrate and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just grinning this shit-eating grin, trying to be as helpful as possible till the guy just kind of gets out of his car, takes the bag, walks it over to a garbage can, throws it away, gets back into the car, and then looks at the secur- security supervisor. He goes, yeah, fuck you, and drives away. So I get a call that room 744, uh, there's an older gentleman who has, uh, he's, he's having a hard time, his sink is uh, leaking. So I send uh, engineering, you know, to go to go fix his sink, and there's nothing wrong with his sink. I mean, they can't find anything wrong with his sink. About 90 minutes later, he calls again. His sink is leaking. And so, you know, I go with engineering together this time, and we look at his sink. His sink is fine, and I explain to him his sink is fine. There's nothing wrong with his sink. That, you know, no, it wasn't leaking, and then it stopped leaking when we came. There's nothing wrong with the sink. I, I show him how to use the sink, you see. So then, a little bit later, I get a call, and, and it turns out that this guy has fallen twice in his room. And I, I know what this guy's doing. You know, after after this point, I, I, I understand that, that what he's going to do is he's trying to manufacture enough problems with his room that we will then give him a free room that or that he will demand a free room so i go over to the room you know and i knock on the door and he opens the door and i said so you fell in your room twice he starts to go into the spiel about you know it's like oh yes and i fell and this is and i tripped on this and he's starting to go in there i said hey hey you know what i don't know if you smell it i said but i'm smelling an awful lot of horse shit and he just stopped because I guess most in, in a customer service uh, perspective, that's not how you do it, I guess. I said, I'm smelling a lot of horse shit here. And I said, and I don't blame you. You know, everybody's trying to get something for free. You're just trying to figure out an angle so that you can get a free room. But you're not going to get a free room under there's nothing that can happen. I said, if, if, you know, you get your hand caught in the toilet and it sucks your arm off, you're not getting a free room. So... You might as well just, I mean, I appreciate the effort. And, uh, but just know that there's nothing you're going to do or nothing. There's not going to be a problem with this room. It's going to get you a free room. And he smiles and he says, well, you know, can't blame me for trying. I said, no, I can't blame you for trying, but I'm just letting you know you can quit trying because, uh, 
you're not getting a fucking room, man. Not not for free. Not this time. You know, I don't know if it's the pandemic. I don't know if it's uh, sort of like the, the uncertainty of the world. Maybe it's the fact that I kind of ditched social media. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but lately I have really been, I don't know, if it, craving nostalgia. You know, like craving a time when we were not um, as completely fucked up, that there was a bit more unity in our experience, or maybe just the the blind faith. You know, the the, the you know, when you look at talking about the white supremacy, they looked at the sort of like I want to look back at when America was great before kind of thing. I don't know if that makes any sense or if that's even better. One of the things I've been doing, I really have been really enjoying Perry Mason. Um, Perry Mason on HBO, it's a retooling of the Perry Mason thing, which was one of the longest running television shows, Raymond Burr, like in the history of television. Well, this is a rethinking with Michael Reese as Perry Mason. And it is really, I mean, not only is it a really fun story and, and the acting is really good and there is some real perspective on the sexism of the 30s, takes place in 1932, and the racism of the 30s. And this, you know, there's there's a lot of really good sort of like experiential character-driven sort of commentary on these things. Um, but one of the things really fascinating to watch is like the old cars, um, the uh, the old technology, the phones, no internet, you know, nobody's wearing a mask. There's not this uh, social distancing going on. I mean, it's just like, you know, just it's just like this very visceral kind of people centric stuff. And I'm finding that fascinating. I really kind of love it. And then last week, uh, you know, I was told uh, I was told by a friend that I needed to watch Tom Hanks in uh, Apple TV's Greyhound. Uh, which is a World War II Navy story starring Tom Hanks. And I watched that, and I had a few drinks, and then suddenly it was like I was in a in, in sort of a World War II mode. And so I watched Midway, which uh, was a more recent version of the movie of the Battle of Midway, which was actually quite good. Um, uh, Woody Harrelson's in it. Uh, Patrick uh, Wilson is in it. I mean, it's just a it, I, I found it to be really good. And then since I was already in it, I watched... Saving Private Ryan. And by the time I got to Saving Private Ryan, I'd had enough rye whiskey and beer that just small moments in that movie were just making me ball like a fucking baby. So I don't know if that's something you're experiencing or not, but uh, it's been, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what that means, but there's something about this time, you know, all the bullshit going on in 2020, sort of like the, the, the doom scrolling that everybody's, I mean, that's, that seems to be a term where, where people are just constantly, and it really doesn't take much to doom scroll at this point. You just have to read the news. There's so much bad shit going on. There's so many things that are always on the, just on the edge of everything going out of fucking control. Um, and it isn't going to get any better. I mean, it's, I mean, it'll eventually get better. I, I absolutely am optimistic that things will get better. It's just that it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And this includes the pandemic. It includes the economy, especially. Um, quite frankly, frankly, it's going to include this election. This election is going to be a shit show. It's going to be really hard for us to get through this as a country. And I hope, you know, I know we will get through it. But it's just kind of a very interesting thing. Um, but looking back at nostalgia and the hard times and the sacrifices that uh, Americans have made in the past so that we can have these rights, so that we can so that we can have these debates um, is 
kind of extraordinary. And yeah, uh, you know, it's something, uh, it's something that George W. Bush actually said at John, uh, Lewis's, uh, funeral was, uh, that while we're flawed, while America is flawed, it's still at heart, a great fucking country. And while we're a bunch of selfish assholes, um, for a lot of it, um, I still think America is, we're just sort of like the barbarian Kings of our own experience. And there's something, um, as much as I can go, man, I want to fucking just torch half this place up. There's just something about America that I think is, it really is. It's a grand experiment. And I don't think it's even close to failing. Um, I just think we're in a rough patch right now. We've been in rough patches before, so it's not like we're not going to continue to experience rough patches and then some glorious times. So uh, I'm 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 quite hopeful, but I have to say, craving nostalgia has been uh, a thing of late. Being the new kid at school every single year from grades one through eight meant I got bullied a lot. Granted, I was already a bit of a smartass. Maybe I got that way as a defense mechanism. Maybe it just came naturally. Who can tell? Funny thing is that I can remember most of the bullies from third grade on. Starsky and Hutch from Mrs. McWilliams' third grade class, based on their nickname. You can probably guess what they looked like, unless you're too young to see the show. In addition to constantly trying to get me in trouble and at least once a week lying to the teacher that I had said something off-color about her, they both took turns calling me names at recess. I was bigger than they were, so it rarely got physical. But given the fact that my family was poor and they seemed as wealthy as pint-sized Bezos... Probably not, but everything looks huge when you're eight years old. Most of the taunts were about my clothes. In fifth grade, it was Anthony Jackson. He was a big black kid the size of an adult. Again, youth and hyperbole go together like beer and peanuts. And he used to pound on me almost every day. I never understood why. Other kids would call him racial slurs and he left them alone. I never resorted to that sort of nonsense. I knew better. Mom was a good role model for that sort of thing. Whatever the reason, Anthony would go on a verbal tear, cut me down till I'd snap, I was funnier than he was and could spin a dig like no one else, and he'd beat the shit out of me. We'd start again the next day. In seventh grade, it was Victor, Rodrigue, Victor Rodriguez and his gang of Latino boys. They would beat up, beat up on me. They'd shove me. They literally would shove me in lockers and lock the locker until, you know, I'd have kids from band have to come and get the band teacher, and he would have to let me out of the locker. I mean, these guys brutalized me a lot until finally my mom gave me a sweeper piece and I fought back a little bit and then they left me alone. But in eighth grade, in eighth grade, I recall being set up by a few kids uh, I'd end up going to high school with and Ladale Walters by then, I, like I said, I was so used to being the new kid that words just sort of bounced off of me. Now I was crazy for Ladale. Uh, they knew it. She knew it. She invited me to her house. And the four guys jumped me, kicked me and dragged me across a gravel road with their bicycles. Even then, I understand that the words they used were nothing but sound. I was smarter than every bully I encountered, and I knew better insults. It was the pounding that hurt. It was the physical pummeling that left me bleeding and bruised. And by the time I was in eighth grade, though, I had learned to fight back. And that was how you stopped them. You hit them back. Of course, then I got in as much trouble as they did because I was no longer the victim because I hit back. 
I learned a lot of things being bullied consistently for seven years in a row. First, I learned how to take a punch. This seems like a life skill that you shouldn't have to be learned. You, know, you shouldn't have to learn, but it, it is the same lesson as when I was a kid learning to play baseball. I was put in center field because I have almost no athletic ability and possess no grace whatsoever. But I was afraid to catch pop flies. I didn't want to hit me in the face like, I don't know, an ordinary human would not want to have a baseball hit them in the face. Well, the coach came over, threw a ball at me. He hit me in the mouth hard. I cried. He said, but that was rough, kid. Probably hurt, but you're still standing. Yeah, you're okay, right? No much. Now you know what it feels like. It's better to catch the ball than let it hit, let it hit you in the face. But if it does, you'll survive. I caught more, more balls after that. I was not that athletic, and I didn't really like the experience that much. But, uh, you know, that, that was a good lesson uh, at the time. And Anthony Jackson subsequently taught me not to fear being punched in the face. Second, I also learned how to take an insult. When people, I, when I hear people today cry out, your beliefs are canceling my existence and hate speech is violence, I really can't help but simply shrug. What I hear is people unable to handle ideas that are in conflict with their personal agenda, so they've aggrandized it to such huge proportions. They've completely conflated the meaning. The argument that words are the same as getting punched in the face could only be made by someone never once actually punched in the face. A sexist joke? It's only like rape if you've never been raped. That doesn't mean it isn't in poor taste or is acceptable to hear, but it is not violence. A racist epithet hurled at someone is substantially different and far more benign than being physically lynched and hung by a tree. Again, it's not cool, but to categorize both the slur and the murder as anything close to the same is ridiculous. I read this quote. Quote, after all, people who obsess about being wronged are just plain unpleasant to be around, perpetually ungrateful, short-tempered, self-absorbed, never at peace, never at rest. Eh, sounds like an apt description of 90% of Twitter. Sounds like an accurate breakdown of many on the side of the woke as well as many on the side of the alt-right. My guess is that it may sound like your significant other, your good friend, someone you work with. It is, in fact... A description from an article in The Atlantic describing Donald Trump. Now, I speak from experience about this because I've certainly had my moments of being unable to take a verbal baseball on the chops with any kind of sense of proportion or humor. I mean, sure, I've been obsessed with my own sort of vengeance and been angry and filled with spite over some barely educated online bully calling me names and semi-organizing the whole call-out and cancel culture game. The thing is, there's a, there's a psychological thing that's going on there, that if we believe something is harmful, we're more likely to experience it as harmful. This interactivity between our definitions and our experiences reshape how we experience more of our day-to-day -day lives. It has been suggested that broadening one's concept of trauma undermines one's resilience because our brains are all that spongy and they kind of accept it. I, I think most would agree that being that thickening up the skin is preferable to being in self-imposed pain over someone misgendering you or asking you where you're from. Another thing I learned from those bullies in grade school was this. Anyone who sides with the bullies, either out of fear or agreement, isn't worth your time. 
Now, here's where my disdain for the mob bullying of everyone from J.K. Rowling, who is uncancelable, to some guy tricked into the OK hand symbol and then fired because the white nationalists decided that the OK symbol was now theirs, separates from the common hand-wringing over this Twitter-centric phenomena. In 2010, I had a blog entitled An Angry White Guy in Chicago. I was a lot less rational. A lot more. A lot more of my online vitriol was focused on George W. Bush. I worked for a public radio station, and one day, after an early kerfuffle regarding reporters with social media accounts popped up, my boss asked me what I was going to do with my blog in the face of more stringent corporate control over online opinions. Wrong question. I answered. What's the right question? What are you going to do about my blog? I'm going to keep writing, and if you fire me for it, I wouldn't want to work for you anyway. I don't like bullies of all stripes. I don't care much for weak-ass histrionics trying to tailor society into what they want everyone to do or how to behave either. Face masks required because we're in a pandemic spinning out of control. It's common good and all that. Controlling which ideas are acceptable? Not a chance. This isn't an abridgment of free speech. These are just consequences of saying the wrong things. Bullshit, kids. Okay, These are the consequences you've decided so that you can silence those ideas you don't like. You've forgotten that those who live by the wholesale cancellation of ideas they abhor die by the fact that there are a lot more of everyone else getting sick to death of it. As one vice editor was accidentally caught saying, woke is fading in influence. The companies who kowtow to the demands of children and zealots are worse, though. They're not companies or colleges or theaters or news organizations worth being involved with. Bullies, like any other obstacle in life, are there to teach you something. If all you learn from them is to behave exactly like them, you've learned the wrong lesson, bub. Lots of lessons to be learned from obstacles, but let's bully anyone who presents one instead of learning how to thicken up, laugh at yourself, and then them, and push through adversity or simply bad manners is definitely among the best to absorb. The mob push for enforcing a moral purification designed to eradicate offense is simply idiocy. And the need for a whole bunch of weaker bullies to band together to cancel people is pathetic. I mean, at least Anthony Jackson didn't need a bunch of friends to pummel me. And that's episode 86. Um, I, you know, I've been playing around a little bit with the format. I hope you enjoy it. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing that, 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 I remember when I was in WNP theater and no, we would do shows that nobody, that, that were either critically acclaimed or not, but nobody really came to, and we'd still do the shows. I mean, I was a very adamant that even if there was one audience member, I would still try to put on the best, we'd still put the best show we could put on, even for that one audience member. And I kind of feel that way lately about my writing and uh, this specifically this podcast. It's like, I don't think anybody's real. I don't think there's very many people listening to this podcast. There are more podcasts now than there are people making podcasts. I mean, there are more podcasts now than there are listeners of podcasts. It's a ridiculously easy medium to sort of uh, participate in. And I'm not sure if anything I'm doing is distinct enough, but it's fun and I will continue to do it. So I hope you enjoy what you're listening to. I hope you recommend it to some people. Um, if you're interested in give me a couple bucks, you know, buy me a cup of coffee, go to patreon.com slash peculiar journeys, throw me a couple bucks, but otherwise just thanks for listening. Um, thanks for just letting me in your brain for, you know, about a half an hour every week. And with that in mind, talk to you next week.
Peculiar Journeys is an ever-evolving podcast of stories and personal thoughts by Las Vegas resident Don Hall. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and review it. Give it a star rating. Uh, It certainly helps other listeners find the podcast. If you are so motivated uh, to throw a few dollars my way to help support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys and become a VIP patron. Even a dollar a month is better than zero a month, and we'd really appreciate it. I, I certainly would appreciate it. But if not... Try and enjoy it. Share it with somebody. Thank you very much for listening and have a great week.